From WUFTFM, this is Animal Airwaves Live, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. Oh, and I'm so glad you've tuned in this week here in early September when my guest from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is uh, Dr. Brett Moore. And we're going to be talking today about something that is relevant across a, a broad range of specialties and so forth in the field of veterinary medicine, but it's the role of collaborative care in veterinary medicine. And uh, Dr. Moore is going to talk to us about this and and how it relates to the work that he does and and how countless veterinarians in all kinds of places uh, doing all kinds of work uh, work better together. So welcome back to the program, Dr. Moore. I'm really glad that you could be here with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, you happen to be working at a large veterinary teaching hospital, which kind of by its very nature is collaborative. But sort of here at the start of the program, let us dispel the the notion that this is one of the rare places in which collaboration is key in terms of caring for animals. This can take place even at your neighborhood veterinarian. Yeah, you're exactly right. I have the benefit of working with a hundred other doctors or so here at UF and all of them with different areas of expertise and specialties and everywhere in where vet medicine is being practiced, there's doctors have individual areas of expertise and experiences that are helpful for one another to share. They don't have to be a specialist at all. And only by working together can we really do what's absolutely best for our clients and so and our patients as well. And so I have the luxury of walking down the hall and talking to any number of different veterinarians. Uh, Some veterinarians have large practices, then they can do this as well. But to really reach out and talk to different veterinarians of different specialties or across different hospitals is something that I definitely encourage to be fully collaborative. Right. And and I guess if we think about maybe um, a a kind of veterinarian who might uh, let's let's imagine a scenario in which there is a perhaps a rural setting and Mm -hmm. there is a veterinarian who kind of works alone. Right. Um, Maybe doing a, a mix of some pets, but also some, you know, large animals, livestock, that kind of thing, horses maybe. Um, those are situations in which perhaps a veterinarian might do a lot of work alone, I suppose, if it was a, a place that uh, had, uh, if it was a veterinarian who had a, a relatively small roster of clients. But even in suburban veterinary clinics, um, you know, there might be two veterinarians or more. There might be um, a staff of, of, you know, veterinary um, clinicians and so forth who, who help out vet techs and all that. I mean, does that all count towards uh, the idea of collaboration? Yeah, and, and it, it does. And, and then a different scenario, too, if you're working by yourself in a rural setting, collaboration is something that it's a little more obvious. But when you have people around you, you can still collaborate with them. My, my encouragement from this is is for all veterinarians to consider reaching out above and beyond what you normally would cross your mind. So, for example, we all get busy within our days and we have cases that we work through. And as the nature is with medicine, sometimes there's there's a small bit of question or something to ponder as we work up a case diagnostically or consider treatment options. 
And my, I always encourage people to say, if you don't have 100% certainty, there's someone else that might, they might have the experience for that specific condition or variant of what you're seeing or treatment option. And the only way to really achieve that in those cases is to talk, talk to another veterinarian. And so even if you're in a five doctor practice and you're moving through your busy day, taking the extra five, 10 minutes to maybe make a phone call or, or uh, speak to a veterinarian at a different institution or something like that can really help bring that small, even if it's a tiny bit of uh, question or the complicated case to just a little bit further closer of an answer to being complete. Let me ask you this. Is there anything about the education and training of young veterinarians that can point the way to the benefits of collaborative relationships later on? I'm thinking, for instance, that in a veterinary school, students who are beginning their careers will, of course, be learning from veterinarians and mm-hmm. they'll be working alongside other veterinary students. And they will, of course, have coursework, but they will also have rounds in clinics and so forth where they will be trained to cooperate and collaborate with others. Uh, it seems to me that by the time one has finished veterinary school, one has done a great deal of collaboration already, and the benefits of this would be apparent. Yeah, no, you're right. There's definitely a sense of community at a veterinary school in terms of collaboration, and they're exposed to that. I think when veterinarians sometimes leave school, they're in this period where mentorship's really important, and they definitely get a lot of that from other veterinarians that they work with at their new jobs. Um, But there always seems to be a little bit of hesitancy and whether it's a fear of being uh, facing judgment or a fear of, I should know this, I'm, I'm a veterinarian now, I've just graduated, in terms of reaching out all the time to, to collaborate and discuss cases, there could be a little hesitancy in that if it's to call back to, for example, call back to UF or to call a different veterinarian or even sometimes to reach out to your mentors at the practice that you're looking at. And so I prefer to encourage the students to say, don't, you don't need to hesitate. At UF, we're here all the time. We can talk to anybody at any time, veterinarians, and we're happy to do that, and we definitely encourage it. I think one of the big things, too, is I try to, to really instill in the students here what collaborative care really means in terms of the spectrum. And historically, our profession has been of the mindset kind of where we we only really collaborate with the cases that really, really need something like the potentials for referral, the ones that are really challenging or really difficult cases to manage that may need a specialist to help get them through. But if you think about what collaborative care really is, it's more about the day-to-day process of that and what that looks like, working together as a team with other veterinarians to do the best we can for our patients and our clients. So I say don't save that call for just the tough cases. Call us every day if you want to, if you have to. And really, if you can, because that's the way that we work together best. Yeah. Now, let us talk a little bit about what your day-to-day is like, because, uh, well, first, describe people kind of what you concentrate on 
uh, at work on any given day? Yeah, so I'm an ophthalmologist. I We see cases three days a week from all different species. We have Most of our cases are either, they're not always referred from a veterinarian. We have clients that can make appointments with us as well, pet owners that can make appointments with us. But we, have, we do have a lot of referred cases. And then on two days a week, we receive due to surgeries on the eyes. And then speckled throughout that, we get a lot of phone calls from veterinarians and from pet owners with potential emergencies that we can talk about the best way to do things. And we always encourage the phone call. There's always instances where the phone call hasn't happened and whether a pet owner has shown up or a um, veterinarian has sent a a patient over for us to have a look at. uh, Calls beforehand really help us discuss and determine what the best course of action and the timing for that may be, especially if it's from a veterinarian where we can talk through the case and sometimes determine whether or not the pet owners have to sometimes drive really far to get here at a, at a very late hour or other things like that. And so working together really helps us set those up to make it best for the patient and the client, but also best for both of the veterinary parties. Oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Now you are somebody who probably sees, you know, the the normal kind of cats and dogs that one would commonly see because those are very popular pets. Uh, but mm-hmm. you may also see animals that we might not cat- classify as pets. And in those instances, I can imagine that you're working in collaboration with others who uh, work in the field of animal care because... They're coming in with maybe something that is, I don't know, what you might term an exotic animal or um, some sort of wild animal. And these might not be cases that you see every day. Um, But I could imagine how turning to your colleagues for, um, you know, in consultation might help out in cases like that. Um, Is that how it usually works? Yeah, definitely. I I, Just as much as... Other veterinarians depend on me to help with the eyes of their patients. I depend on other veterinarians to take care of everything else. So, for example, when wildlife comes in or any other exotic species, I know very little about the rest of the body for them. That That's a whole special training program that we just don't have time in our lives to, to learn everything. So when we specialize, we have to kind of really diverge and do something specific. And so they're good at that. And they help me support the animal while I look care, take care of the eyes. And the same goes too with uh, family veterinarians. I am also often looking at the eyes and I really depended on them for taking care of the rest of the patient. And um, sometimes in concordance, when we're talking about conditions like cataracts in a diabetic dog, uh, Diabetic control is really important for me to have success in treating those eyes, and so working together is the way that we can achieve that best. Oh, you know, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. That is a pretty specific kind of case, but talk mm-hmm. to us how that, what that looks like, because I think that most of my listeners will understand kind of what cataracts are, um, because they are something that affect human beings as well as pets. Uh, talk, talk to me about how. You, you know, this kind of case might proceed and and how you might uh, work collaboratively with others. Yeah, great, great idea. So 
And dogs that get cataracts, probably the most common cause of cataracts in dogs is diabetes, other than just the inherited form of cataracts. And diabetes causes cataracts in dogs because of the sugar level. It causes the lens to swell and become cataractous. And when we start to consider restoring vision in those patients through cataract surgery, we need to make sure that they're in really good control of the diabetes, meaning their blood sugar levels are controlled, they're, they're getting the right dose of insulin. And that's a whole process, and it's something that we don't do on the ophthalmology service. Our internal medicine service does, and sometimes our patients that have severe diabetes or diabetes that's difficult to regulate, their veterinarians will uh, inquire or rely on our internal medicine service to help with that. But either way, we need a nice level of control for the diabetes so when we go and do cataract surgery, we don't have um, them reach a diabetic crisis. And that can happen with anesthesia, and it's very uncommon if they're controlled and their diabetes is doing well. Anesthesia almost certainly kind of um, throws a little disruption into your body system, and if they're in well, good control of their diabetes, then we don't have much concern for them coming out. But if they go in under bad control, then they could become even worse, worse controlled, and we don't want them to become systemically unwell um, just from having the cataract surgery. So it's kind of a requirement for us to do that. Right. Uh, great. So that gives you the opportunity to work with uh, some of your other professional colleagues to maybe find, uh, I, you know, the best possible solutions for these pets um, to mm-hmm. create the, the best outcomes. Because fundamentally, the, what this is about is creating positive outcomes for the animals that you're treating and, uh, you know, being able to work with others um, who can help, you know, fill in the the different uh areas of, of expertise uh, really make it much more likely that I think these pets can experience those positive outcomes. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Moore, let's take a break right now. I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM. My guest today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Brett Moore, and we're talking about the importance of collaborative care in the veterinary, veterinary profession, and we will be back with more right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM. This is our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm Dana Hill, and I'm really happy to welcome back to the program today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Brett Moore. And we're talking about the importance of collaborative care in the veterinary profession. Uh, Now, uh, Dr. Moore, uh, folks who are listening to this program know that I most frequently speak to uh, folks who are... Uh, faculty there at the College of Veterinary Medicine, where collaborative relationships are kind of nurtured and really just part of the everyday uh, sort of flow of the everyday pattern of of working. Um, in your area, in particular ophthalmology, you have you have a couple other um, colleagues who do the same, more or less the same thing as you. Other you know, of other veterinarians who specialize in the care and treatment of the eyes, correct? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, there's two others here. Yeah, and that is a kind of veterinary specialty. So um, above, above and beyond kind of the uh, standard veterinary school that all veterinarians kind of attend, you you had to study longer uh, and and kind of focus in, so to speak, on the eye. In uh, in so doing, um, did you did you find that even while you were kind of training to have this specialty, uh, that collaborative work was essential in kind of getting the knowledge and, and skills that you needed? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, as going through residency, which is a four-year training after, after veterinary school to become specialized, we rely on not just your mentors in ophthalmology, and your other resident mates, but other services within the institution that you practice in as well to get those animals the best that they need. And we spoke on cataracts before the break. There's other conditions as well that we rely on other services to help us with make sure that animal as well, not systemically, not just for the eyes. Uh, yeah. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. So for example, a very common retinal disease that we see in cats is due to high blood pressure systemically. And so we often work with internal medicine service or the or the primary care veterinarian, the family veterinarian, to help regulate the blood pressure and, and figure out a cause of why the blood pressure is high in, in that cat. And that's probably one of the most common ones in that, in that species, cataracts in dogs. And then um, horses, we see some complications with equine recurrent uveitis and some other things that cause multiple things inside the eye that may have a systemic cause like leptospirosis, but that's not totally confirmed yet. Yeah. Uh, Now, there may be problems that you deal with uh, concerning an animal's eye that are relatively straightforward. If it's um, something just like a a minor trauma to the eye, uh, that, you know... (laughs) might be something that you can kind of uh, take care of right away, but you still uh, might need to the help of a veterinary anesthesiologist or um, you might need to consult others. Uh, there's, are, there, are there very many cases at all in, in which there's no collaboration required? I think within a day-to-day practice, whether it's my, my, me with ophthalmology or or other specialists here or a veterinarian in, in family practice, I think there's actually a lot of cases that go through the day without collaborative care. And that's that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's always cases that you know how you know how they're how they're doing, how how they should go, what to do. And it, that's why we went to school. That's why we went for this training and to develop those understandings and those experiences to get those animals through. But um, there are cases where you're not 100% on, and those ones I definitely recommend that veterinarians work together to figure out what's best. Yeah. Are you, um, are you aware amongst your other colleagues uh, the kinds of common collaborative relationships, maybe even outside the specialty of ophthalmology? Well, I guess one thing, one way I could speak on that is to discuss a study that we did that looked at what what specialties family family veterinarians collaborate with 
or refer to. And it kind of gives an idea of the different things that are out there to reach out for. And so we did this study and found out that, sure enough, ophthalmology and, and second surgery were the top two specialties that family veterinarians refer to or collaborate with at UF. And the lowest on that list was dentistry. Really? Is that, was, uh, is that because uh, many of the kind of dental needs of pets can be met at a local veterinary clinic, a neighborhood veterinarian? I think that's part of it, but I also think part of it is that there's not a lot of knowledge about dentistry as a specialty. And the reason I think that that may be part of it, too, is that in that study we did, there was also four specialties that weren't even listed as a specialty that was either referred to or collaborated with, and that was nutrition, theriogenology, which is reproduction, behavior, and uh, what was the fourth one? I can't remember what the fourth one was on that list, but those, veterinarians didn't even say that that's one that they refer to or collaborate with, and those specialties have a lot to offer in terms of help managing uh, and offering expertise for those areas, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, so the the ophthalmology gets referred a lot, and would describe what second surgery means. Surgery, uh, sorry, surgery, the surgery service. So whether it's an orthopedic or a, a, a bone, like a fracture, or a, any sort of surgery that's not a special, that's not a specific organ that's taken care of by another um, specialty, like ophthalmology or cardiology or something like that. But general surgery, whether it's in on the you know, skin or the bones or inside the body on the internal organs, those types of things. So these kinds of cases are frequently referred to a uh, large yes. veterinary hospital like UFs. Is that yes. correct? Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, when those are, are referred, uh, is that, and I, I don't mean this to sound uh, pejorative in any way, but is that a kind of uh, a kind of recognition that some of this stuff may just be outside of the scope of a neighborhood veterinary clinic? Yeah, I mean the, the specialty medicine exists because there's special training in, in a certain area that is above and beyond what most veterinarians had been trained to do and what what their comfort level has been, and so. That's why it exists. It's there to, to help with that branch. There's just too much knowledge, too much out there to know and be good at everything. And same in human medicine, right? There's even further specializations. Like there's people that only do ophthalmology of one. There's like 10 branches of ophthalmology where they only practice on a certain part of the eye or a certain disease process. And so it gets even further with human medicine. But you're exactly right. It's It's not that the veterinarian, the family veterinarian couldn't or couldn't develop the skills or learn the the knowledge or the training. It's just that they have so much to know being a whole body veterinarian. I mean, they take care of, they do surgery, they do dentistry, they do ophthalmology, they do all of this stuff. But there's certain conditions within each of those that are just either it's rare or it takes a certain skill set that requires a lot of extra time and training to get through that, um, that's where the specialist comes in to be very helpful. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, if we're just being purely uh, mercenary here, the, the economics of it may not make a lot of sense, right? For a person who can spend 
a full 40-hour week or more treating animals for a variety of conditions for which uh, the neighborhood veterinarian does an outstanding job. It may make less sense for the veterinarians there to become highly specialized in any one particular area because those cases may be infrequent enough that some of that training would kind of uh, not be utilized on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the the cases that are, are referred to you from um, from veterinarians, uh, can mm-hmm. you know? Can you describe what those commonly might be? Yeah. So the cases that are referred can either be referred to on an emergent basis. So maybe a, a, a pet has presented to a, their family vet for a trauma or something, and there's something urgent that's not well and needs to be taken care of surgically or at least assessed to determine if surgery is necessary. Or it could be something that's been managed for a long time and it has started to decompensate, like glaucoma, for example. Maybe the glaucoma has been doing okay or the high pressure in the eye has been okay, but all of a sudden the pressure spiked up and needs some help in in getting that down and managing it from there on. Or it could be something that's been... um, managed for a long time, but it's been troublesome throughout, and it's time to really get additional help, like for chronic dry eye that's just not resolving. How do we get this to heal? So we see it, things like that. It's usually the most challenging of the most challenging ones or the most dramatic or severe cases of the most severe. And when those cases are referred to you, uh, well, let me ask you this. Are there instances in which the family veterinarian would like to maybe try to address some of these issues, but could stand to have uh, maybe a consultation with someone like you? Yes, actually, there are lots of those. And so we've, we, we welcome and we encourage referral at all costs. Sometimes there can be a wait and, or sometimes it could be a very difficult situation for the client, whether it's in geography, they could have to travel a long way. Or it could be from a financial perspective where the cost of a a specialty visit could be maybe a little bit too much. And so there's also cases that are borderline, like maybe the veterinarian knows that this might be something we're able to take care of here. And this is where uh, collaboration from afar, whether that's a phone call or an email, if it's not something that's very urgent, and with us here at UF, we're always open to those. I actually love it. It's one of the favorite parts of my job when veterinarians call and talk about cases because I really feel like we're working together as in the profession as a team to do what's best for that client and that pet. And there's there's a lot of scenarios, actually, where, where we can help, guide, provide suggestions. We get pictures. We can help give some guidance on diagnostics and where to go from there and potentially what treatments to consider, and, and especially ophthalmology and a few other specialties as well, like dermatology. There's a lot of instruction and guidance that can be done from afar, and we certainly encourage that even up to and prior to referrals where uh, that conversation can help provide a little direction uh, in a very least a timeline, and, and maybe most importantly out of all this is be able to provide expectations to the pet owner on what to expect, whether they are able to come or want to come up for a referral or not. So 
let us then, uh, let me ask you this. Are, are there instances in which a family veterinarian is like 90% of the way there? Like they, they basically feel like, you know, I'm able to, to do what I need to do here, but I just, there's this one piece I'm not 100% confident on. This is a good opportunity for me to just reach out and then not need to send this patient to a specialty clinic. I think that that is a. I think that 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 last ten percent that you mentioned is of uncertainty is kind of where our profession has turned into more of not collaborating, whereas it would be a great opportunity to collaborate. And so we're all super busy and. You're out in practice, and you got 90%. This is—I'm pretty sure. Like this is going to be it. This is going to work. I've seen it work before. Looks a little different, but instead of moving on with the day, moving on, or even potentially sending up, uh, having a conversation about that, collaborating with a specialist, or giving us a call, or even collaborating with a colleague there at your own practice, getting another opinion and working together can help boost that 10% up to a full hundred or boost the 90 to a full hundred, I should say. And um, it's not to say that referral is wrong at all. I think referral is probably the best option. I mean, I'd, I'd see every eye if I could, but veterinarians out there are very skilled. They know a lot about ophthalmology, and I am here to talk about eye cases for that, to help with that last 10%, or I'm here to talk to see eye cases um, to help, confirm with you that last 10%. So it's definitely not wrong to refer at all. I think if there's any question or any um, possibility that that's of interest, at least that discussion, like you mentioned, is is super important to really determine whether or not something can be done from the care of their family practice or if uh, we recommend referral as best option. Yeah, now I'm going to ask a question that's kind of dumb and maybe hard to answer, uh, but in this hypothetical scenario I just came up with, you know, let's say that that family veterinarian was like 90% of the way there, and that might be an opportunity for a kind of collaborative, um, you know, just a phone call, something like that, that might tip the scales and, and get that veterinarian uh, at, you know, a neighborhood veterinary clinic feeling 100% like we can do this. Uh, but is there like, is there a certain percentage of the way there uh, that is just not quite close enough and a referral is going to be required? I mean, like how much collaboration can there be before a referral is really fundamentally what is what is needed? That's super tricky to answer because it all depends on what it is. And so, for example, you could, as a veterinarian, let's say I'm in practice, uh, local practice, and I have a really horrendous eye come in or a, a really trouble a really worrisome eye. It looks really bad. Maybe it was a trauma case or something. And I'm just not sure at all what to do next. That could be something that via a collaboration, whether it's virtual or through the, the telephone, that could be something that is easily solvable in five minutes, just based on a few, a few quick tests or questions. The also the alternate could be they're 95% of the way there with their treatment, but there's something that's just not going quite right, and that 95% was because something needs surgery. Uh, yeah. And that would be something that would be highly recommended to, for referral to be taken care of. So although the first one 
was really dramatic and really bad, it didn't necessarily need uh, an emergent referral uh, instead of a conversation. And the opposite could be true for something that doesn't seem that bad, where they're really close. They just can't get it over the hump. So does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does make a lot of sense. And I think this is a good uh, place for us, perhaps, to take our next break. I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFT-FM. My guest today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Brett Moore. And we're talking about the importance of collaborative care in the veterinary profession. We'll be back right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM. I'm Dana Hill, and my guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Brett Moore, who's an ophthalmologist, and we're talking today about collaborative care in the veterinary profession. Uh, Dr. Moore, I wonder, you know, there is a well-known shortage of veterinarians in this country, and Mm -hmm. I imagine that there is a shortage of specialists as well. Is there any any relationship at all between an environment in which there's a shortage of veterinarians and then the need for collaboration? Oh, yes. I love the question, and I thank you for bringing it up. But I think that within the specialty world, there's probably less of a shortage than it actually seems. And I think that's because that sometimes the you know, if I say we're booked, I've heard of cardiologists being booked out nine months before. That would insinuate certainly there being a shortage. There's definitely not enough to get through nine months worth of appointments to get them caught up and all the patients seen. However, you add some collaboration in there from afar, it can help not decrease the number of patients that are seen by cardiologists necessarily, but it can help streamline the schedule of that cardiologist to determine what needs to be seen and when and best. And it can help really emphasize that. And so you take the nine months and go down to, let's say um, we're booked out or somebody's booked out one month. There may be patients on that one month schedule that could be in that 95% of the way there, just need to get over the hump, may be able to do that by just talking with the collaborating with one another, the, the family vet and the specialist. And they may not need to actually make the trip up. So we can then focus on the ones that absolutely need the care. Yeah, right. But so, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. no go ahead. Excellent. How does one kind of shake this all out so that there can be kind of less strain on the system? How does one identify these situations in which collaborative uh, communication, uh, can collaboration and communication can maybe ease the strain and 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 kind of move these cases along in a more expeditious way I think the key is to just is to just communicate about what's there I think the question that we should ask ourselves as two veterinarians and there should be two if we're going to collaborate right is we should always ask what 
is best for this patient and this client, meaning the pet owner, right now and in the future? And if we sit down together and ask that question, we will know exactly what needs to happen. If it's best for that patient and that client to be referred right now, then that's what we decide together needs to happen. That's what goes on the schedule as an emergency. And if we come up when we say, hey, we can actually manage this through you, the family vet, for the next month until we can get you in or we can get started on this medication, and by the time you come in for a recheck, it's going to be a good time for us to take a look as a specialty service. Great. That's not actually a month wait because that's going to be their next visit anyways, and so that's a perfect timing. And so by just talking together, we can kind of not only from a scheduling standpoint, but from a need standpoint, really help get these patients and pet owners where they need most and when. Yeah. Now, this is maybe a difficult question to answer, so feel free to not answer it if if it is uh, if there's just no information. But is there is there evidence? Has have any studies been done that you know of that that point to definitively better outcomes in situations in which the care is more collaborative? Absolutely. In the past several years, there's been two big studies that have come out that have shown that collaborative care is extremely beneficial to the um, outcome of the patient. And the first one of those was in cardiology. So we're talking about congestive heart failure. This is a a critical condition. It's a condition that, if not managed, can lead to death within less than a year's period of time for sure. But we showed that patients with congestive heart failure that were treated collaboratively rather than unilat uh, by them just by one veterinarian, the family veterinarian. So when a family veterinarian worked with the cardiologist, whether that's in person or through from afar through collaborative care, there was a 74% increase in longevity in that patient, which is almost double the lifespan. Yeah, that is significant. Yeah, it is. And the second one was with um, middle ear disease, otitis. And the patients that had both were collaborated with earlier, so sooner there was a collaborative relationship, they had less chain, chronic changes in the ears, and the inflammation inside the ears stayed away longer by nine, by like ninefold. So we're talking like a couple weeks when there was no collaboration versus nine months if there were collaboration, that inner ear disease didn't um, come back. So very important couple of studies that show the benefit to collaborative care. Yeah. Now, in the in some of the time that we have left here, do you see opportunities in the future for more collaboration, uh, you know, in terms of the direction that the veterinary profession is moving? Will there be increased specialization and less collaboration? Or will there be more collaboration uh, and maybe veterinarians who can do a, a, a broader uh, array of of treatments. I think there's definitely going to be more, and that's because of the direction that health and healthcare in general is moving. In terms of, you've probably heard the buzzwords telehealth and things like that. And what this allows is for opportunities for clinics 
veterinarians that are out there and sometimes even pet owners to work with their specialist from afar. And so here it's a different story. University of Florida is always available and always here for all veterinarians. I get phone calls from veterinarians on the other side of the country and that's, it's great. We love that. And same thing for pet owners. We're always here. There's some areas of the world where they don't have a local institution that is easily accessed for referrals. Like you mentioned Wyoming earlier and really rural areas, or maybe it's not that rural, but there's just a, there's a not enough specialists to go around. There's things that are coming out in the telehealth world that offer up opportunities for that uh, collaboration to still occur. And it can be done in really elegant ways, even with video and, and different things like that. And so um, virtual collaboration is definitely something that I think is going to continue to improve in the future and, and help more patients. Yeah. And I don't know, is there, um, is is there any change that you see in your particular area of, of specialty? I mean, it's hard to imagine uh, much that telehealth can do uh, in the field of veterinary ophthalmology. Well, it's pretty amazing. Like ophthalmology is a very, and no pun intended here, visual science. Like I, it takes, you, you can basically see everything that's wrong when you look at an eye. You can't always see that with every with every specialty, right? It's hard to see the intestines and things like that when you're an internal medicine specialist. But for ophthalmology and, and dermatology is another good example. It's very visual from a diagnostic standpoint for us. And so we're actually built really well for virtual care and for telehealth. So when I have veterinarians call and talk to me about cases, I almost always need a pic- want a picture or a video. And sometimes videoing with them live on my phone is a great way for me to look at that patient together and say, hey, I know exactly what I can help you with in this. And just having that quick look can often help us get in the right path on what we need to do next for that patient and the pet owner. And last thing before, before we go, is there a favorite case that you can recall in which collaboration uh, helped lead to some solutions uh, and, and you felt really pleased with the outcome. Yes, there was. There was a cat. Well, I guess there's, yes, there was, a, there was a cat that had an eye that it didn't even look like an eye anymore. It was so bad that it basically just looked like a big red kind of scar almost. And it's frightening as a veterinarian who has not seen that or is not specialized in eyes to see that and it almost looks like something that absolutely should be either removed or or something or, or referred immediately and so I got a phone call and we talked about this case over the course of five minutes I got a picture and I said here's something that we can try we can potentially avoid anesthesia this cat can probably heal this up I can't promise the long how good the visual outcome is going to be of that eye but let's give it a go. And we had a couple more consultations like that on the phone, collaborations. And over the course of six weeks, that eye looked almost normal. After all of that, anesthesia was avoided. The client saved $1,500 by avoiding eye removal surgery. And that cat's walking around with two very good eyes at this, this stage. So that's a good example of how things can can really take a good turn just by having a communication. Right. Uh, That's great. 
Well, Dr. Brett Moore, uh, veterinarian at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thank you. I want to say thank you to Sarah Carey and Amanda Buckley over at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine for their help. And thank you all for listening to this program week in and week out. I sure am glad uh, that you tune in, and I do hope that this program is helpful and meaningful to you. And I hope you'll join me again next time for another episode of Animal Airwaves Live. Bye-bye. (music) Bye-bye.